Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Tuesday, July 26, 2022, which is just two days after the 2022 edition of San Diego Comic-Con wrapped up. You know, we had actually been cautioned to the effect of the big Hall H presentation from Marvel Studios, the effect of, don't expect too much. You know, they're, they're saving all the good stuff for the D23 Expo in September, so they're going to talk about She-Hulk, they're going to talk about Black Panther, and that's about it. Drew Taylor, my co-host on Fine Tuning, tried to make folks aware that this info was wrong, that Kevin Feige had so much more up his sleeve. But even then, I don't think anybody expected this amount of news. Phase five and you know, a good chunk of phase six. Yeah, chunk. That's the, the operative word there. They didn't reveal everything that's coming, but they gave us uh, the, the largest rocks in the river, as you like to say. Yes, yes. And uh, we will be walking you through these various rocks shortly, folks, when we get to the news portion of the show. But... As always, I'd like to remind you that the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. There was a review that Ben Brantley did of uh, Mel Brooks's uh, the, the Broadway musical version of the producer, and it, it has one of my favorite lines ever to start a review. It's like, how do you pick highlights out of a bonfire? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, just because I'm craving for something different nowadays. Okay. Sandman in 10 Days on Netflix. Well, that was a <laughs> that is a pretty cool trailer too. That came out of uh, of Comic Con, and man, that looked great. Seeing the Corinthian with his chewy teeth eyes uh, really just creeped me out, and I cannot wait to see all of that happen. I'm so excited for it. But oh. for, for all fairness, this is a Marvel podcast. We'll put Sandman to the side okay. and talk about Marvel stuff, I suppose. All right. And you you wanted to share your reaction to uh, the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer. That well, not necessarily shown. my reaction, but, okay. but the world at large's reaction, it appears. So mm -hmm. this is uh, the moment where I admit how very wrong I was yet again, because my concern is how in the heck are you going to cut a trailer that's compelling uh, called Black Panther Wakanda forever and it doesn't show the Black Panther in it you know when you're mm -hmm. missing your main character through it and I thought that as I watched the movie without any other context around me I thought well this is like saying welcome to Fantastic Four where they intro Doctor Doom after he's just killed the entire Fantastic Four off screen <laughs> you know that's how it felt Okay. And so they're introducing Namor, obviously, and they're and they're trying to hint at him and tease him and not give him full reviews and it's little mm -hmm. glimpses and cuts of this and that. Mm -hmm. And I went, well, that looks like a good Namor trailer, but it's a crap Black Panther trailer. <laughs> and then I scrolled down in the comments section, and it appears that I am absolutely in the minority because everybody was emotional and overwhelmed and, and oh, I can't believe how beautiful the tribute to Chadwick is with the mural on the wall and... I mean, I'm aware that there is a recast T'Challa hashtag out there where people mm -hmm. would like to see the Black Panther as a character continue. 
Mm-hmm. And I get that. I, I totally get that argument. He's a, an important character that's been around a long time, and I don't think his journey should be over. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to throw something on top of this that I didn't expect to happen at all. Now, besides all the comments being overwhelmingly positive, mm-hmm. there was news of a video game for Black Panther being slightly delayed after the movie, where in the description, Jim, they say that the king has been killed and all of the players are fighting to be the next Black Panther. Really? So, and, it, and it's like, is it going to be Shuri? Is it going to be, I can't remember the other character's name that led uh, like the, the gorilla tribe mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, like, is it going to be that character? And so they had all these little options of what character in the Black Panther group could be, step up to become the next Black Panther. And I thought that was, I mean, my heart kind of sank when I saw the description of the game title because it's like, again, I don't want to go to a Black Panther movie and not see Black Panther just in the same way I don't want to play a Black Panther game that doesn't have Black Panther in it. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I am on the sidelines on this one saying, boy, this this doesn't seem right, guys. And the rest of the world is like, yeah, this is exactly what's called for or needed. I don't know. I, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see how the box office plays out, and that will be the end judgment of this conversation of do the people like it or are they offended by it or what? So we'll see. Literally today in my inbox, I got news of a new book coming out called The Protectors of Wakanda, The History and Training Manual for the Dore Malaje. And this is arriving on store shelves September 20th of this year. So I want to say the actual Wakanda Forever film doesn't show up till November 11th. But this is an in-world manual. So the pose supposedly is if you're, what's it like to train as a member of the Dore Malaje? And, and what's kind of interesting is this book supposedly features entries from General Okoye, Princess Shuri, and Queen Mother Ramonda. But I just, I have to wonder, given what the trailer makes very clear, we are in a Wakanda that is mourning T'Challa. And how much of this is, is going to kind of bleed through around the edges? Now, are we going to bring up the fact that Shuri is in the Black Panther costume at the end of that? And how do you know, right? <laughs> Go ahead, say it. How do you know, Aaron? How do you know? I, I, well, I've seen a lot of speculation to that effect, and it's... Are we really, it's, what's the proper phrase here? But detectives, is, is that? No, 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 no. It's, it's not okay. the Heine that gives it away. Okay. If you'll recall in the first Black Panther movie, Shuri mm-hmm. had these gauntlets that when mm-hmm. she would raise her fists up and they were like uh, panther mouths, rawr, mm-hmm. open mm-hmm. panther mouths that were on her fists, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that same motif of the panther, except the mouth is more open and so her arm comes out. So this mouth is actually used as like a collar around mm-hmm. her, her arm. It's more up mm-hmm. around the, uh, the forearm area. Mm-hmm. But the design of that panther mouth is similar to exactly what she was using as like blaster gauntlets in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. So that being added to the Black Panther costume, it just looks like exactly what Shuri was using in a previous movie being added to a Black Panther costume. I mean, really, I mean, if, if you took, look at the side-by-side of the two images, they look like the same thing in the same way that Ray's lightsaber was her staff all along, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they just bust a piece off, and boom, there's your, your new lightsaber handle, and everyone's like, of course, we've been looking at this for the last three movies. That makes sense. Same thing with Shuri's Panther blaster gauntlets now being moved up the arm. 
I'm so glad this is how you figured that out, because I'm clearly reading <laughs> the wrong discussion pages. Because again, a bunch of, of folks who were looking at that, that shot of the Black Panther from behind squatting yeah. down. Whose hiney is like, that, right? Whose hiney is that? Yeah. And it was just sort of like, geez, I really wish I had been on the gauntlet page as opposed to the hiney page. So, yeah. Well, the hiney page is good for a quick visit, but you know, it, it devolves very quickly. It does. It does. So that's what's coming November 11th of this year. And that is the last movie of Phase 4, right? Correct. Okay. And then Phase 5 picks up with Quantum Mania. All right. Now I got beef with that one. Okay. Because they did not let us see the trailer. And apparently there's a shot of Modoc in there. And I need that. What's interesting about the reporters in Hall H who are literally frantically typing away as the trailers and the footage is being screened, they call it in-room footage. I'm sure sometime in the next month or two, we will get a Quantum Mania trailer. And if not, definitely in front of uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. But it was the quotes coming out of the room. Oh, yeah. Like, Kang's going to be a very different villain than we've encountered. Kevin Feige, in interviews after the Hall H presentation, it's like, look, very different type of villain. Totally different from Thanos. Not just another purple guy in a helmet. I think the line that sort of gave that away, at one point, Kang turns to Scott Lang and, have I killed you already? Yeah, that's a really chilling line. That just gives you the the creep factor. As a matter of fact, as I was reading about the event, that is the line that jumped out. And it seemed uh, online everybody was quoting that one yep. line. Yeah. And, and it, it triggered everybody in the good nerd geek way of, oh, this is going to be so awesome. It was kind of like similar to when Thanos said, fine, I'll do it myself. And everyone, oh, yeah. here he comes. Here, yeah. You know, and remember, we have met this character before, sort of. We saw He Who Remains in the final episode of the Loki Limited series, we, J Jonathan Major, and the notion was that when Sylvie took him out, that sort of set the stage or, or started the dominoes falling that would lead to Kang the Conqueror. Oh, now, while you're talking about that real quick, there was an, another post I had seen online that made a nice little point that uh, mm -hmm. Loki was the beginning of the Avengers and the Infinity Saga because, you know, mm -hmm. he, he was the bad guy in Avengers and lasted all the way through that. So he was the trigger mm -hmm. of Thanos coming. Mm -hmm. Just the same way that Sylvie is now the trigger for Kang coming. And we're like, damn, we got to lock up these Lokis and Loki variants. They are nothing but trouble. <laughs> they have caused years worth of movies about how much mischief is right around the corner now because mm -hmm. they just had to poke at something they shouldn't have been poking at. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, well, Peyton Reed, the, the gentleman who's directed all three now of the Ant-Man movies, went on to say, things happen in this movie that are going to change the Marvel Cinematic Universe permanently. And it's fun for us that Scott Lang is is at the center of that change. That's the other thing people carried out of the, you know, Hall H said, hey, Modoc, I got to see Modoc. And I really did want the Patton Oswald stupid buddy show to continue the whole domestic comedy workplace stop motion thing. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to get a really for real Modoc in the MCU, it's like, I can handle that. So, you know, you have to set up between Quantum Mania and us finally getting to the Kang Dynasty, which just today news broke who's going to direct that. And that's Daniel Destin Crichton. 
the gentleman who directed Shang-Chi and the Seven, uh, excuse me, in the Ten Rings. And what amazes me is Daniel's already on the hook for a Shang-Chi sequel. But was that even listed on the list of stuff coming? Not at all. You know what was also absent? Mm-hmm. Uh, Eternals 2 wasn't on that list, so there's a six-hour mm-hmm. window you don't have to worry about just yet. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> and speaking of c- clips that were shown in the room, one of the other things folks who were in the Hall H Marvel's presentation got to see was a trailer for the Secret Invasion limited series, which the footage they described it, Nick Fury getting off a spaceship to meet with Maria Hill. And she's not thrilled with Fury at this point. He's supposedly been avoiding Earth for years. And she flat out said, why come back now? And they said that this situation warranted his attention. And then there was some fairly intense conversation with Ben Mendelsohn's Talos, Mm -hmm. uh, the scroll that we saw Fury working with in Captain Marvel. And he's just warning him, you've got to be very careful, Fury. And then they cut back to Don Cheadle's uh, roadie character, uh, uh, James Rhodes, who's surrounded by uh, men in black suits. And so Fury turns to to Rhodey and asks, how much do you know about your security detail? And we we actually supposedly get to meet Nick Fury's boss, who is going to be played by Olivia Coleman, who is in sort of the M role for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And it Mm. just tells him, look, you're not in shape for this Fury you've been away too long and so i love this dual track thing that's starting underway in phase five you know the notion of we have a brand new villain who controls time so how do you deal with that coupled with the fact that you have nick fury who's the ultimate agent of agents of shield who returns to earth only to discover that Maybe he can't trust those who are around him, and he doesn't actually know who they are. And it's like, that's a really interesting path to start down as you move into Phase 5. The only thing that has any sort of hesitation for me Mm -hmm. is the man who controls time. Because Mm -hmm. it sounds like, hey, we're getting ready to do another time travel romp. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, no, we just did that for, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Endgame. Mm -hmm. And I would be disappointed if we had to have another time travel element in order to win against the bad guy. I think the fact that they are introducing Kang by way of quantum mania and and the quantum realm, I think that's the interesting setup here. That's the interesting way in that maybe, and maybe it's not just a straight vanilla time travel thing all over again. Well, no, I like if he's if he's uh, in every universe and he knows mm-hmm. everything from every universe, mm-hmm. it'd be like a thing where, uh, say, Ant-Man kills Kang and then all of a sudden another Kang appears and goes, well, we're not going to let that happen again now mm-hmm. that I know that you can do that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he becomes kind of like Taskmaster. He just kind of knows what you can do. Mm-hmm. And instead of mimicking you, he just avoids or circumvents that by knowing your game plan. so You know, it's, again, intriguing that you bring this up because just today I was reading that somebody was positing uh, to the effect of, look, think about the end of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. 
I'm blanking her name, the character who shows up literally in the, the last end scene, and there's been an incursion, Stephen Strange, you have to come with me and correct this. That's supposedly one of the key elements here, that the incursions, you set up the, the notion of the multiverse, so many characters from so many different realms that can potentially right. work together. And we also had seen in Loki, he who must remain, talking about the sacred timeline. Though, with Guardians of the, the Galaxy Volume 3, as James Gunn said at the Hall H presentation, this is the end of that story. I'm sorry, some stories have an end. But it doesn't mean that everybody dies. And the footage they showed, Gamora coming on the, the Benatar with a, a crew of Ravagers, but it's clear from the footage that she just does not recognize Star-Lord. Meanwhile, did, did you see any of the footage of the high evolutionary uh, Chakwadi Uwada in full costume striding through Hall H? No, I saw a photograph and I, I thought that looked intriguing. The high evolutionary is literally walking through all age defective. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you for inspiring me with how vomitous you all are. I, I can't wait to dissect all of you and see what I can learn. And it's like, oh, there's our villain. On the other hand, James wanted to warn people going into volume three that this one's really it's about Rocket. That was another thing that people took away from seeing the footage that was presented in Hall H was they got to see Baby Rocket and who, who was described as the saddest creature in the universe. So I guess we need to be ready for that. Remember, we've got the, the holiday special coming in November, and then we have Volume 3 showing up in May of next year, though I guess Chris Pratt has sort of raised his hands to the effect of, well, you know, there is the multiverse. I know this story is ending. The, you know, the Guardians of the Galaxy is ending, but Star-Lord could turn up at some point. After that, coming in the fall of 2023, we have Ironheart. And if you look closely at the Black Panther Wakanda Forever trailer, you can actually see Riri Williams. She's uh, given the high five greeting to uh, Shuri as she enters a room, a lab, it looked like. Oh, I, I, I will go back and look for that. Mm -hmm. And we now know what her outfit looks like in this film, not just due to the trailer, but also Funko Pop. But, uh, well, it was so funny that, that once the Hall H presentation was over, there were a lot of folks on the floor who could finally put toys and posters and stuff on display. It's like, okay, they've revealed that footage. Okay, we can now bring out our stuff. So there were action figures, collectibles, a lot easier to get a sense of what Wakanda Forever was going to look like. But you were talking about something that Mr. Feige said over the course of this presentation that we're going to see Marvel superheroes at, at various different levels, right? Well, yeah, you've got your street level and you've got your astral level heroes. And I mean, they've talked about that before, mm -hmm. but it was a series of, it's not Lemony Snicket's unfortunate events. It was mm -hmm. much more happy events that led me down a train of thought. Mm -hmm. So we did have in the She-Hulk trailer a mm -hmm. brief glimpse of Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, oh, you know, we can't have an Incredible Hulk movie, but we can have the Hulk in a movie. Mm -hmm. And Daredevil's a street-level character, and Feige also mentioned Spider-Man as a street-level character. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, Spider-Man is a Sony character, so Feige really doesn't have the ability to say, 
right now with all certainty that mm-hmm. you will definitely see more Spider-Man in the MCU as a street-level character. As far as we know, that deal has not been signed and that hand has not been shook. So then the next thing that was noticed was that Daredevil, when it comes out, is going to have 18 episodes. Yes, yes. So that's like almost three times as much. If we're getting six on the regular, mm-hmm. you know, well, there, there's that's three times as much. Uh, or if you're getting eight episodes, that's over twice as many episodes. Mm-hmm. So that was a dramatic difference. And I wondered what could make them do such a dramatic shift to do so many extra episodes. And then I had the craziest thought in the whole wide world, which was, you know, when Sony made the deal for Spider-Man's rights, I'm certain it was movies because we've obviously had the movies. I don't know for certain if it includes live action television shows because we have not seen one, but it's possible. Mm -hmm. We know that Marvel has the rights to animated Spider-Man shows and they've done plenty of cartoons to, to prove that point. So the question is, when Sony signed that deal to get Spider-Man back in either the late 1990s or the early 2000s, because we got Spidey you know, in theaters in 2002, streaming was not a thing then. It could not possibly be in the contract. So if we have Daredevil for 18 episodes, is there any conceivable way that we can get Tom Holland to appear side-by-side side with Charlie Cox in a Daredevil show, not a Spider-Man show? And it's not a movie, it's streaming. And so we haven't broken the two cardinal rules. It's not a Spider-Man thing, live action. It's a Daredevil thing. What do you say, Jim? Can we do it? Is it legal? We've had a similar situation with the Hulk. Right. The language for the Hulk film says the Hulk feature films can be produced by Universal, that they have the movie rights. That's only for a film where the Hulk is the leading character. If, on the other hand, the Hulk is a supporting character, then it gets a little strange. I mean, no, we've got a She-Hulk. I mean, it's got Hulk in the title, but it's got She in front of it. Yes. And the Hulk is a supporting character. So that qualifies in all of the most technical of the senses. Mm -hmm. So uh, there is precedent especially with Mark Ruffalo once again showing up as Bruce Banner and the Hulk in She-Hulk. So, yeah, going forward. Now, the other thing, frankly, that I had heard about the Daredevil Reborn show and Mm -hmm. it getting an 18-episode pickup, two key concerns here were that you had Charlie Cox and uh, likewise uh, Vincent DeForio, who, remember, played Kingpin, in the original Daredevil series for Netflix, likewise turned up in Hawkeye, is supposedly playing a role of size in Echo. And these two guys have done right by Marvel Studios, have been very patient. And so this was why they did the big roll of the dice. It's like, look, they're a known quantity. You know, the, the Netflix show with these two gentlemen was hugely popular. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily a risk to do a big buy, to go, okay, we're going to do 18 episodes here. Now, the other thing, though, that I guess I have to caution is that you know how on a lot of streaming services – there's this whole notion of, hey, here's the first half of season one. Yeah, that was the next question, because you're looking at, like, you know, what, four, three, four months of content if you do it all at once. Yeah. So they're going to split it down the middle. Um, they better I, not I, do a Stranger Things and just leave off the last, like, three episodes and, <laughs> you know, 
here's 15 guys. The next three will be out in December. They make the comparison. Look, this is television in 1953. It's not like streaming is brand new. We're, we're, you know, five, six, seven years in. But at the same time, we're learning the rules by doing the shows. And what does the algorithm tell us? What does the audience research say about viewing patterns and that sort of thing? So I look at that 18-episode order for Daredevil Reborn, and it's just sort of like, okay, I'd love to see that number. And that means I get get me a lot of Charlie Cox and a lot, lot of Vincent D'Avorio. Well, the question is, you know, how many times have you watched a series that had 20 episodes and you felt that it would have been a much better series if it only had 12, that six mm. of those episodes were filler to, mm. you know, get to plot point B and C or, or something like that. And, I mean, there are times where I, I do believe that shorter is better. You've got the mm-hmm. leave them wanting more factor in play that way of, boy, Miss Marvel is great. I sure wish there was more of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that means you're primed for the Marvels. The next mm-hmm. chance to see her will, will be in the Marvels. So you're primed for that now. If I give you too much and you don't even finish the series because there were 32 episodes and you kind of mm-hmm. tuned out halfway, you will not be seeing the Marvels because you haven't finished the first half of, mm-hmm. you know, or you only finished the first half of Miss Marvel, and maybe something happened in those last several episodes that will be relevant to the movie. So now you feel obligated to finish the series before you can go see the movie. So you've got to be able to give it, you know, it's like a 10-course meal. i got to mm-hmm. make sure the hors d'oeuvres are really delicious but really freaking small, because if you fill up on hors d'oeuvres, you're going to be in pain by course four or five when there's three courses left after that. I'm looking at the whole schedule for phase five, and I can't help but notice, for example, we've got Blade, the movie, being released uh, to theaters November 3rd of next year. It's kind of a different animal. It's not that you're cold introducing a mass audience. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember those films, and I'll be intrigued to see what Mahershala Ali does with this character versus Wesley Snipes. Yeah, but you remember the very first Blade was like the blood rave scene mm-hmm. that kicked off the movie, mm-hmm. and it's, it had better be dang bloody mm-hmm. and over the top because we've already seen a bloody Blade movie, and if you're mm-hmm. going to... You know, you, you've always got to one-up it. You've always got to outdo yourself from your last go-around. And if you're going to reboot a thing, you mm-hmm. better be leaps and bounds better. And I think that they that blood factor is part of that for that that character. I, 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 well, hey, I, you, did you watch uh, what we do in the shadows recently? Mm, I, I am familiar with that show. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay, so I don't want to you know ruin the whole thing, but in mm-hmm. one episode. Natasha gets in her head that she needs to have a blood rave just like Blade had in the movie. Oh, and it no. and it becomes a redecorating the house type situation. It's not their house, but it's a different mm-hmm. place. And they have mm-hmm. to redecorate it for vampire blood raves. I mean, it's now part of the pop culture lexicon, the dialogue, right? They mm-hmm. That's the one thing that they're taking away from, from Blade is the blood rave in What We Do in the Shadows. You got to do better. You know, if for Disney, they, they got to be able to go, yeah, we embrace that as a thing, and we're going to top that by 10, at least. Just in the past week to 10 days, we've actually seen over on Disney+, Plus Deadpool, Deadpool 2, and Logan show up as actual options for things that folks can watch on Disney Plus. So we are seeing Disney taking baby steps 
in directions to do some more outrageous stuff when it comes to the Marvel movies. So, yeah, and I guess I'd have to assume, given the way people think about the Wesley Snipes films, that, you know, that when it comes to Herschel Ali snapping into fangs, they're going to have to do set pieces like that. So, realistically, though, what intrigues me looking at the schedule for the late fall of 2023 into the early winter of 2024 is the one-two punch here of the Blade theatrical release and then Agatha, Coven of Chaos. This is the Agatha Harkness show, the, the Catherine Hahn project. And we have two supernatural-themed projects like side by side there you know one in the theaters one on disney plus and it's like okay why are those pieces on the board how does that play out mm-hmm. and then coming right behind that we then have captain america new world order with anthony mackie as sam wilson the new captain america by the way that begins filming in november this year But that shows up in the spring of 2024. And then, have you heard about Thunderbolts coming in July of 2024? Yeah, that's what I was asking. It was about a month or so ago. It was Mm -hmm. right after William Hurt had passed away that I had brought up the fact that you can't seem to handle how you're going to present Black Panther to the public after Chadwick Mm -hmm. had passed away. So the next thing you do is you know, William Hurt passes away and then within like it seemed hours, oh by the way, there's a Thunderbolts movie coming out. And I mm-hmm. just thought that was really odd timing, like someone, you know, had scheduled a tweet or an announcement and then didn't mm-hmm. realize, you know, that the man had just passed recently. I don't know. But it just seemed really odd timing of that particular announcement. And I get that, you know, he's not gonna necessarily be the main character because it's a team of villains that's named after him, just like the Suicide Squad is a mm-hmm. a team of villains. However, Red mm-hmm. Hulk has usually, you know, sometimes been attached to that group, and that was what Thunderbolt Ross ends up becoming at some point, is mm-hmm. his own version of, of Red Hulk. After chasing the green guy around so long, he injects himself with the serum to, I guess, get a better chance of catching him. I don't know. But, mm-hmm. yeah, all these storylines uh, we're not going to get, unless they recast. And really, he has been a rather minor-ish character mm-hmm. that would pop up from time to time. Yeah, but I loved what he did. Oh, sure, yeah. With, with Ross, the, the gravity that he brought to the role that was always nice to see him come on screen. And, you, you know, you had somebody who could go toe-to-toe with a, a Robert Downey Jr. and hold his own. When it, when they go, well, who could we ever recast to play Thunderbolt Ross? I would just start whispering, you know, Sam Elliott's still around, right? Is this, anyone got his number, Sam Elliott? You know, that's actually, if it would redeem, even in a small way, the Ang Lee Hulk, I could get behind that. That's that's actually a genius move. Yeah, okay, cool. That's a great idea. So for me, I look at this, all the stuff that's been announced, all the limited series, all the animated stuff, all the theatrical releases, and then to know where we're headed, to Kang Dynasty and to Secret Wars, that's a hell of a chessboard. I want to know which of these characters, how they're going to interact. You know how how okay, this so let's, I want to I want to get this out. Obviously, longtime listeners know about my Spider Mania, mm-hmm. but I gotta I gotta bring this up. Mm-hmm. I know this is the wrong Secret Wars, so mm-hmm. 
please don't send me the tweet saying, hey, man, it's a different one. I know that. Okay, mm-hmm. here we go. Can we get Spider-Man to get his black suit in Secret Wars like he did in the first one? Because he tears his mask and mm-hmm. people still don't know who he is. Because remember, everyone has forgotten who Peter is. Yeah. That's an important thing to remember everybody. It's a mm-hmm. plot point and you got to make a deal about it. So and we did have that little moment in the end. No, 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 no. That never happened, Jim. You were mistaken. That was a hallucination. You had a mushroom pizza and they were the wrong kind of mushrooms. Okay. Okay. So what we're going to say is because Secret Wars takes place on a different plane. Mm-hmm. Right. So we don't even have to worry about that little bit of blob in a bar in San Diego or wherever the heck it was at. Okay. By the way, I still ha- I have visions of that, like holding out a little amoeba thumb with a sign, you know, New York or bust as it tries to hitchhike across the country to get to Peter Parker. But that's a different story altogether. If we mm-hmm. get to Secret Wars, nobody knows who Spider-Man is. He rips his mask. He needs to find a new costume. We get the black thing. Mm-hmm. That becomes the symbiote costume. We can have our proper black suit Spider-Man. We can then have a different Venom in our universe that has no bearing on a different Venom from a different dimension because we've got a multiverse, and that's okay that he's from a different place and is a different actor playing it. And we have a completely different Venom show up in the MCU that isn't strictly that one. Okay. I guess I, I don't know if if Disney's going to have to throw down like a, a billion dollars to buy Spider-Man back from Sony to make all of this happen legally, but that's how because if if you do the black suit, that implies Venom, mm-hmm. and it's like Sony's like, hey, you're stealing all of our toys. You know, we already tried to play this game. You know, is it going to be far enough away in the future where we don't have to look back and remember Tom Hardy as a Venom? Is is that a plot hole now? Right. Because if they're doing a third movie and it's coming up in the next couple of years, you know, will, will we still be far enough away when we finally get to Secret Wars where we can have a black-suited Spider-Man and not think Tom Hardy is involved in this in the future? I do not know what to tell you. Uh, I, anyway, it, okay, so my hopes and dreams are dashed once again. Let's move on. Okay, speaking of which, folks, uh, moving on, when we get to the second half of today's show, we're going to discuss how long these sorts of things take to do. Setting up, for example, the original Infinity War and Endgame. We were just talking about New York and just heard from the folks at Madame Tussauds. They have a brand new Marvel Universe 4D movie experience. Something that they've actually put together with the folks at Marvel Studios. And you can see this not only at the New York 42nd Street operation, but also in Hollywood. This is the that's just right next door to the Grauman's Chinese, but that's wrong. I want to say it's TCL uh, Chinese theater now, and also their Vegas location. So I have to get down to the city and check that out at some point. They sent me a trailer for it, and they're a little off-model, again, from what we know from the films or, or, or that sort of thing, but it looked pretty cool. So we were wrapping up the new segment. We were talking about popping the hood on how Marvel does this, how they set up these giant films to cap sagas. And Kevin Feige, just this past weekend at San Diego Comic-Con, said that I think we learned something on every project we do, but 
as we were laying out phase four three years ago, we realize that it's very different from phase one, two, or three, that, that there are more projects and less years. In, in fact, Aaron, you were pointing out, you know, how much time was there between, what is it? The, Phases the, the, one through three versus four through six. Yeah. Yeah. So one through three, we were learning to crawl before we could walk. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, phases one and two were crawl phases. I think we were walking by phase three. But that whole time took 11 years. Mm-hmm. And then if we look at the calendars and do the math, apparently phases four, five, and six will only take six years. So, obviously, we do have the benefit of Disney mm-hmm. Plus and delivering shows and content and story. More importantly, story that moves mm-hmm. all of this forward uh, on Disney Plus. So that does help be a little bit more expedient in the the story delivery there. But uh, Kevin continues. He said, look, we're not going to culminate every 10 months with an Avengers movie. Each of these films themselves now have become quite big and are are cross over events in many ways all on their own. And, And after the creative experience we had with Infinity War and Endgame, well, that felt like capping a saga. And... Those films were a year apart, whereas the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars will be mere months apart, but still be a a real cinematic event, a completion of a saga. And that's really what we wanted to lay out here today, saving back-to-back Avenger films for the completion of a saga. Think about it, 11 years from Phase 1 to the the end of, of Phase 3. If you think about how much advance work you needed to do before we even got our first Avengers movie, the original Iron Man didn't arrive in theaters till May of 2008. First Avengers movie didn't show up till four years later. And, you know, you had to do all of those introductory films for Thor and Captain America and and the like to really build out your cast. Now, mind you, they do start to pick up speed after that point. Uh, For example, the second Avengers film, Age of Ultron, that arrives in theaters May of 2015. That's that's a mere three years between sequels. But if we're talking about the original, if we're talking about Infinity War, the first real event that Marvel Studios did, spreading a story over two films that were a year apart, Marvel announces this project in October of 2014 all right so we've got seven months before ultron even arrives in theaters so they haven't even gotten the second avenger sequel out the door and they're here they are announcing we're doing this two-part movie event infinity war which will arrive in theaters you know part one will show up may 4th of 2018 and then part two will be may of 2019 after that, April of 2015, the Russo brothers get signed to direct Infinity War. And the Russo brothers' very first film for Marvel Studios, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, had only been released to theaters a year earlier, April of 2014. But even one month before that, Marvel's like, ooh, we like what we see from you guys. And hey, would you be interested in doing the sequel to this civil war? You know, but 13 months after that, just as principal photography is beginning for civil war, that's when the brothers get signed to do Infinity War parts one and two. If we jump ahead one month, May of 2015, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely 
are signed to write the screenplay for Infinity War. And these guys at this point have been working with Marvel Studios for six years. They got hired back in November of 2008. They got selected by Joe Johnston, the director of Captain America, the first Avenger, because he was looking at the script and it's like, eh, this needs to be retooled. This needs to be more sincere. I know some guys. Let's bring them in. By the way, this dream team that you just listed off currently yeah. has a film right now on Netflix with Chris Evans called The Gray Man. Yes, yes. Which, by the way, further complicating this whole situation because mm-hmm. everybody is hoping that the Russo, you know, in fact, that's the interesting that just thing. That got a sequel and a, a spinoff it thing. Did, it did. And this is what's kind of making people crazy because Daniel Destin Crichton, you know, has, as we mentioned at the top of the show, has been signed to do the Kang Dynasty. But the Russo brothers have supposedly talked about if they had their one dream project. In the whole wide world, Santa, what yes. would I have? A shiny Red Rider BB gun? No, Secret Wars. Secret Wars, yes. So, but this is the thing. The folks at Marvel have to be staring at the fact that, you know, they got their own thing now. They got this Gray Man show. You know, they got this movie, which is going to supposed to be a series of movies with Chris Evans. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, because I'm not entirely sure Chris Evans makes it well, out. Well, we don't want to talk about that part. We'll okay. just say, what if they did a prequel? Oh, well, there we go. All right. Okay. Because I got to tell you, Chris Evans' character is one of the sleaziest, slimiest oh. Chris Evans you've come across. And I mean, I truly love nothing more than Chris Evans in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, mm-hmm. where he plays mm-hmm. just a total actor creepo. And in this one, he's got a little porn star mustache, and he plays the biggest jerk in the whole wide world where you just want to punch him in his cute little face. And uh, he's just a delight in this whole darn movie. His his badness knows no bounds, and it makes every scene he's in that much sweeter. It's wonderful. And the guys work together really well. I mean, uh, directors with the Russos, McFeely, and and the guys with writing, it's, it's all... Um, a really good relationship that they were working on. No, there. totally, totally. And at the same time, the Russos and, and Marcus and McFeely, after writing for Chris for all of those years, and mm-hmm. and and that's a thing. The uh, you know, um, I bet they were know. sitting there going, "What would Captain America not say in this scene?" <laughs> and there's one scene I love it so much, and it, it's just the read of it, but it's the line where uh, one of the henchmen says, uh, mm-hmm. "We got the guy." And he looks up and he smells. He says, "That'll do, pig. That'll do." <laughs> and I mean, come uh, on, come on, uh, no, come on. Oh, anytime you can slip in a babe joke, I'm happy. Okay. Yep. Uh, Marcus McFeely and the Russos have been joined at the hip since Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. and in fact, I would argue that given that Marcus and McFeely, given that Joe Johnson brought them in to do the rewrite on, on Captain America, the first Avenger. And it, and it's so sweet. It's so sincere. It's, I mean, it just, it just nails what that character needed to be. Mm-hmm. And you think about what they did going forward, how they switch it up for Winter Soldier. You do, you do that same character, only you do him in a 70s political conspiracy film like Three Days of Condor. And then you then jump to something as ambitious as... Civil War, where think about it, you bring Black Panther on the canvas, you do that battle at the airport that I would argue 
is one of the most memorable set pieces that in all of the MCU to date. Well, it was like its own mini Avengers movie without the Avengers title, and I think that's what really made people have that jaw drop moment of look at the just stupidity of riches of all these mm-hmm. characters and wonderful actors doing this thing for this one battle. That's why we end up with three Spider-Men nowadays in a movie, because you just got to keep upping it and upping it and upping it. That's what's put us on the path to the Kang Dynasty and, and Secret Wars. I mean, how do you top a civil war or, or how do you, you know, or, or for that matter, you look at the end battle and end game. And, and again, I would argue that because Marcus McFeely started out by doing Captain America, the first Avenger, there's a reason that Captain America is front and center through all of these movies. In fact, just the other night, I found myself on YouTube and I set up that when the portals open mm, yep. in Endgame, that, that is still such great filmmaking and that whole on your left. I mean, the, the wonderful callback to Winter Soldier. To, but you know, more importantly, writing-wise, it's the very first time we truly get to hear him say Avengers Assemble. Because we yes. did get him to say Avengers, <gasps> and then credits roll at the end of Civil War. Yeah, and, But yeah. we never get to hear Avengers Assemble until we get that huge collection of everybody we've seen in the MCU up until now come out on the stage all at once. And then... When you finally get to pay off that line, because truly it's all of them, and yep. you say Avengers Assemble, man, all the fanboys were like, he finally said it, and they're yeah. all here. And it became yeah. such a huge moment simply because of the writing, of holding off of that key instant. So mm-hmm. uh, the other thing now, Jim, is if you love that moment, I want you to mm-hmm. think about what's going to happen when we finally get to Secret Wars. And it has to be a seven-hour film because we've added 32 new characters and only killed off two since we've uh, gotten done with Infinity War. What's going to happen when everyone only gets half of a line because there just isn't room for a full line for all of the actors you got to fit in that movie? We were talking chessboard Early on in the show is okay, a, yeah, a no, conceit. Let's, let's look at it that way. You've got your normal chessboard, everybody at home. Go ahead and put all your pieces where they belong. Now go get another chessboard's worth of pieces <laughs> and add those and take off two pawns. All right? Now, wait, we're not done because that's this is phase six we're talking about. And I'm damn certain there's going to be more characters that will be introduced. So do yourself one more favor. Go buy one more chessboard, add all of those characters on. Now that it's completely full and there is no space to move, play a game of chess and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be a good time. Now, I mean, you know, I thought that was the impossible problem for Endgame and Infinity War, too many characters, and they did a great job. I mean, that was a very quickly paced moving movie that went from one thing to the next that never dragged because they didn't spend too much time where it's just one character monologuing. There's always interaction between two or three or four characters, and uh, so everyone got to have a part. You know, they got to play their role. And nobody was left in the shadows. So same challenge for Secret Wars, probably a little bit more complicated if everybody in the MCU is involved. But, uh, you know, they did it before, they'll do it again. So many of us were hoping, especially given the wonderful job that that the Russo brothers did, and again, Marcus and Mephi, I mean, and, and think about how Endgame ends. That last 15 or 20 minutes where you're, after the battle, after we lose Tony and... And what's interesting is the movie gets smaller and smaller. We, we have the, the funeral at Tony's cabin. 
And then we have Cap go back to return the Infinity Stones. And we have that lovely scene with the old Cap and Sam and the handing off of the shield. And then Peggy Carter and... Um, well, I think that you you said this just a few moments ago about, you mm-hmm. know, Cap being the center of the Avengers. He was the heart. Mm-hmm. Tony was yeah. the brains, but Cap mm-hmm. was the heart. So mm-hmm. to close that chapter with the guy who was the core, the heart of the group, seems the most appropriate way to end it. So, okay, let's... <laughs> I guess let's we're going to talk the... about She-Hulk on the next episode. We'll, we'll get to that. Let's add this, you know, put this out here as a question for our, our listeners. Okay. Where we are coming into the station for the end of phase three and, or it's going to be phase four, yeah. you know, and Mr. Feige has actually shown us a number of his cards going into five and six and place your bets, you know, who, as we go, if, if Cap was the heart of the first saga, you know, who you know, is going to emerge as the character to carry, uh, you know, the character we're going to care about, the character we're going to follow. And we've seen, you know, lots of pieces moving around the board here for four. I think Dr. Strange is going to have to replace Tony as the brains because he's got to navigate us through the multiverse, if anything. Mm -hmm. So there's your substitute for Tony. But yeah, still for Cap, it can't be Spider-Man because Sony's in control of those cards. And we can't, you know, if we can't choose our own destiny or make it ourselves, we're not going to leave it up to Sony in any way. So it's not going to be Pete. Mm -hmm. Who else? I mean, it could be Riri. You know, it could be a new character that we haven't quite met yet because we got a lot of time for characters to be introduced, developed, and loved along the mm-hmm. way. So, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of characters that we we may not even consider because we haven't been introduced to them yet. Okay. Well, anyway, that brings us to this week. And, and as Aaron mentioned, we really just skimmed the surface of, you know, the info that came out of the Hall H presentation. And we'll revisit some additional news that came out of the presentation in Hall H on, in future shows. But for now, if folks are looking to follow you on social media, where can they find you? You can find me on the Twitters at Prod, And you'll find me reminiscing about meaningful, thoughtful topics like if we now have self-driving cars. How long before we now have a country song about a truck that left? And my girl was in it, but she wasn't driving. The truck just got pissed off. <laughs> oh, I, I'm sorry. There's, uh, that reminds me of that joke about reverse masking, supposedly recordings. So you, you play something. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Paul is dead. Revolution number nine. If you do that with a country record, what's great is you get your your truck back, you get your girl back, you get your dog back. Yeah, it's a happy ending. Everybody's That's happy. a happy ending yeah. right there. So speaking of social media, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Oh, dang. I didn't even mention this at all. This showed up today. I just got my copy of the Adventures Campus, the official cookbook. Uh, recipes from Pim's Test Kitchen and beyond. And I'll tell you what, how's Aaron's it like in- measuring all of those ingredients out by the thimbleful? It's so interesting you say that. I'm looking at the Pim peach pies right now, and yes, I mean literally, it's like three tablespoons of cornstarch. You know, yeah. you seven two- granules <laughs> of sugar. Count them out with the tweezers. <laughs> Don't overdo it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, folks. I will try to make a pimnini tonight for Nancy. And He's we'll got to go to CVS and pick up an eyedropper to add the cream. 
there, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, folks, and we will be back soon.